you got your Bibles, I'm going to add a verse here in the beginning. While you're turning to very familiar scripture, John 3, 16. As a kid, this was on the back wall of my church. And I'll never forget looking up and seeing it every Sunday. And uh, I know it's a very familiar scripture. And the world kind of takes it and uses it all the time. It's all over the place. You go to a baseball game, you're going to see it. You're going to see it at football games. You're going to see it everywhere. But if we could just get the world to see the true power behind this verse. If you're still turning there, take your time. I want to make an announcement real quick. I'm excited about um, what's coming up for us at the end of this year, this next couple of weeks. But I am very excited for what is coming in 2022. I am, and I want to uh, to let you know we're going to be kicking the year off. Um, we're going to be going into some prayer and fasting, and we're going to be going into some 24-hour prayers. That does not mean that you have to pray for 24 hours individually. That means collectively as a church, we are going to take time, and I'll give more details soon, but we're going to take time. We're going to fill a 24-hour slot covered and saturated in prayer. I believe if you cover anything in fasting and prayer, you place it in God's hands, anything can be done with it. And I believe that if we can learn these two biblical principles of prayer and fasting and apply it to our lives and to this church, I truly believe, and I will say this, I said this a couple weeks ago, and I will tell you this was confirmed Friday night our executive ministerial team was poured into by another pastor and his wife in this district. And he leaned across that table. He said, I believe that 2022 is the greatest year you're going to have yet. I believe that. He said, there are things that has taken 106 years for God to unfold. And there are things God's going to unfold in this upcoming year that this church has never experienced. I believe doors are going to open that have been closed for years. Promises are going to be released. And I believe that there's going to be, there's going to be a, a great, and this was spoken over me. I shared this already. This was spoken over me um, by our district superintendent, Bishop Stark. He came and laid hands on me at a conference not long ago, and he said, there is coming an abundance to your church. There is coming an abundance of souls. There is coming an abundance of finances. There is coming an abundance. He said, that which you lack, you will not lack anymore. There is going to be an abundance that God is going to release on your church. Can we thank God for that? I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I'm just going to thank God for the abundance for 2022, it's going to be a year that we'll never forget. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for men of God that are willing to share what God speaks to them. Amen. John 
3.16. We read it together. We have it, we have it up here. Uh, it's a hard one to find. We, nobody, I'm sure nobody can quote it. Bible quizzers, maybe. Let's read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Two words. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. This morning I want to speak just for a few moments that he gave to give. He gave to give. If you would put your Bibles down, let's lift our hands one more time. Let's just ask the Lord to have his way in the remainder of this service. Jesus, in your mighty name, God, I thank you, God, for what we've felt so far, Lord. But I ask you if you would, God, right now to minister to us through your word. God, I pray that you would convict us, God, and challenge us, Lord Jesus. I pray today you would encourage us through your word today. God, I pray that you would draw us into a place we have not yet been, Lord. I pray, God, that we would see, God, the true purpose, God, and, and, and what was behind you, the drive that brought you to this place, Lord. God, I ask you this morning, would bless this church, God. I thank you for the promises you've given us. I thank you for the year that's to come, God, but I pray that you would help us to close this year out, God, with your spirit and your presence with us so strong. We give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. amen. You may be seated. As sinners saved by grace, by the grace of God, we often only focus on one thing when we think of him giving. We think on the cross. And sadly enough, it's something that we, we cover maybe once a year in a lot of churches. It only comes up on typically Easter Sunday that they talk about the cross, which is not even correct that we, you should be talking about the cross on Good Friday. Um, you should be talking about resurrection on Sunday. Amen. That's why I'm glad we do a Good Friday service around here. Amen. I, I, like, I like that we take a, a day, we focus on the cross, but we get to celebrate on Sunday. Uh, that he's, he's not there anymore. Thankful for that. But we're so guilty to, to think a, a lot about the cross when we think about him giving. And, you know, we heard in, in this opening text that he, he gave away his life. He gave it away. And I want us not to be so quick to look at, at what he did until we understand why he did it. The, it's the why that we truly need to understand. It's not just the what, it's the why. To understand the what, the what he came to a manger. That's good. We understand what happened. We know, we've been talking about this this whole month. We know he came to a manger. That's the what. But to understand the why is what changes our life. I understand he went to a cross, but the power is not in the fact that he simply went to a cross, but the power lies within the why he went to the cross. It's not about the what, it's the why. Will you just, just look at your neighbor and tell him, say, it's not about the what, it's about the why. Tell somebody else, tell me, it's not about the what. Find somebody else, just tell them with a little bit of sass, just, it's not about the what. It's about the why. You know, you've been wanting to tell that person something like that. Just, it's not about the what. When I was a youth pastor, he used to say, slap your neighbor and tell him. There's a reason I don't do that anymore. 
But to stop and truly think about it, it, you find it in this verse that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I love that he didn't just say I'm going to pick one group and that's the only that's just for them, nobody else. But whosoever, that tells me that he's talking to you this morning. That also tells me that he's talking to the college student this morning that's not sitting in a church anywhere. That also tells me this, that he's talking to he's talking to the prisoner sitting in a prison cell this morning that made mistakes and they got on the wrong path, ended up in the wrong place. I saw something the other day, it was amazing, that there was a UPC church that went in and held a revival in a prison. You should have seen these prisoners on their faces being baptized one after another, being baptized in Jesus' name. They understood, I got myself here, but there's a God who can get me out, who, who, that he loved whosoever doesn't matter the ranking of your sin. It doesn't matter what your background is. It does not matter whether you're rich or poor. He said, whosoever. He loved them. Whosoever believeth in me should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we understand this morning that when God gave his only son, that he in fact was giving himself. We understand that. In John 14 and 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet that you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So there's no confusion in these verses. I know there's some people that get a little confused. They say, well, hold on. He gave his only son. That means Jesus, he, he, he booted you know, God booted Jesus out of heaven and said, here, you go take this on yourself. That's not what happened. To know who was laying in that manger, I know the manger took place. And I, I, I know all this, but to know who was actually in the manger, to know that he was God robed in flesh, we have to understand. So I understand this morning that, that when God gave it wasn't as if he was sitting on a throne in heaven and said, Jesus, you go and you make the hard job of purchasing the salvation for mankind. No. When he gave, he gave up everything himself. When he gave, he said, I'm going to go myself and I'm going to give. What else did he give in this process? What, what else did he give up when he came and robed himself in flesh? It's, it's nice to know that and John tells us that in the beginning was the word and, the, and, and the, uh, it talks about the word and we always like to break things down a little bit. We talk about the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But it doesn't just stop there. It goes on. It says that the word, which we understand is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. So that tells me that God didn't send somebody else to do the job. God himself said, I'm going to come down myself. I will robe myself in flesh. I'm preaching oneness this morning. We're in a oneness church. We should get a little excited about oneness. All right, I'm not confused on whether or not there's one, two, three, or four. I know right now uh, that when I speak out the name of Jesus, I'm talking to God, uh, that he will respond unto me, that he's the one, uh, the only one that has all power in heaven and earth, uh, that he is the one, that the heavens uh, is his throne, uh, the earth is his footstool. Uh, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, come on, he is everything that you need this morning. Uh, come on, he's the bright and morning star. Uh, he's your deliverer. Come on, he is uh, your rock you stand on. Uh, there is one and only one, and his name is Jesus. 
That's who I serve. That's who we worship. That's who came to a, to a manger. That's who went to a cross. That's who went to a grave. And that's the one who resurrected himself into heaven. And he's the one coming back for us someday. I'm glad we're not confused on that. We understand who he is. So that tells me that when he came and when he decided to give up his life, that he was willing to give up other things as well. What did he give in the process? He had to make a decision to give up his throne. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 6 and 1 that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Little side note, I think it's been mentioned before here, but this amazing fact that, that the kings in that day, the kings' trains, every time they would go out to war and they would have a victory, that they would sew another extension onto the king's uh, onto the, the king's train. So you knew how victorious a king was and how powerful a king was by their train. So the king of kings and lord of lords tells you that his train filled the temple. And I don't know about you, but I've had some personal victories with Jesus in my life. So every time, think about the victory that we have as a church. The train gets longer and longer and longer. I know for this church that the train is not done growing, that we have victories ahead of us. We're going to have battles and fights, but I know that we got the king on our side. We got the king with the longest train, and it fills the temple this morning. Woo! Not only did he give up his throne, but he gave up the worship of the angels. Isaiah 6 and 2 and uh, Two and three says, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with the twain he covered his face. With the twain he covered his feet. With the twain he did fly. It says, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The king of kings, the role of king of kings. He left the role of the king of kings to become the spotless lamb. John 1 and 29 tells us the next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold, he's telling everyone, stop what you're doing. He said, I want you to turn around and look. Behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Could you imagine being in that moment? That you're here, you're, people are waiting to get baptized, and here comes Jesus. And the preacher you're listening to says, oh, stop what you're doing. Behold, the Lamb of God, who's going to take away all your sins, has arrived. Powerful. He gave up his rights when he decided to come to this earth to give. He gave up his rights to even... Defend himself. He chose to give. Isaiah 53, 3 through 7 says, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And says, We as we hid and, 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 and we hid as it were our faces from him. And 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That sounds like the world we're living in. Everyone has turned to their own way. The world tells you to every individual, they say, whatever makes you feel good, whatever your way is, whatever you want to do, that's what you need to do. Don't worry about what anybody else tells you. And they're talking, but this is what they're saying. Don't worry about what this says. That's why there has to be a people that stands on this, no matter what happens in this world. While the world's going astray, we've got to make sure we stand firm. You say, I don't care. Listen, I'm telling you right now, and this goes for anybody. I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent. I don't care what you are. I, I don't care. I don't care who the president is in the, in the White House. If they tell me to do something that's against this, this is what regulates my life. The government doesn't regulate my life. This is what regulates my decisions. This right here. Huh? you got to see what does the Word of God say. Huh? And then I'll make my decision. Huh? Everybody can have your opinion, but your opinion means nothing. Huh? Your opinion has to match up with this for it to please God. Huh? And nothing in this world matters except for pleasing God. It says that they turn... Everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. His rights were stripped from him. This is God robed in flesh. People say, oh, well, he could have just wiped everybody out. But when he made the decision to give... He can't go back on his decisions. So therefore, he knew he was giving up his rights as the Almighty. It, it didn't mean he wasn't that. He was that, but he took away his rights to come into action and to change the situation because he knew what the situation was. The prophecy was already given. He knew what was going to take place. That's why he cried out. If it could be, let this cup pass from me. His flesh was saying the whole, it's going to hurt so bad. It's going to hurt so bad. I know the pain that's coming. This is God, robed in flesh. He's speaking from the spirit to the flesh. This is going to hurt. He said, but not my will, flesh, but thy will, spirit, be done. Be done. So he opened not his mouth. It says, as a sheep before a shear is dumb, meaning they can't speak, so he opened not his mouth. John 19 and 2, it says, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. And then Mark 15, 24, this is a different translation. It's from the Passion Bible, and it says that they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And the soldiers divided his clothing among themselves by playing some dice. They were playing a game to see who would win them. It was a game to them. So when he came, 
when he made that decision to come and give my life, when he made that decision to be born of a virgin, when he made that decision to come and be born in this stable in this little manger, he understood that there was going to be a road he was going to have to take that was not comfortable. But he made a decision. He said, someone's going to have to pay the price. And there's no one on this earth qualified to do it. So God loved the world so much that he gave. He gave up his own rights. He gave up who he was. He gave up that identity. He said, I'll come robe myself in this flesh. He gave to give. Now I want to speak on this thought that what the give part of this message, we understand that he gave. That's all played out. But what exactly, it's, it's why I was talking about the what and the why. The why. Why would he do this? Why would he leave that throne? Why would he give up the angels singing to him every day? Why would he leave that presence? Why would he do that? Why would he leave his throne and come to this earth? Why would he do that? You and me. He gave to give. What did he give to us through his giving? He gave an atonement. Atonement means the removal of our sin and guilt. His death removes or atones our sin and our guilt. The guilt of our sin was taken away from us and placed upon him. Think about that. Could you imagine if tomorrow somebody came and said, listen, this man right here, he killed somebody yesterday. But we're going to ask you to go to prison. You weren't even there. You had nothing to do with this. You weren't even around. But he really messed up and made a mistake. But we would like for you to go and sit in prison for life. This is what this means in atonement. That basically he said, I didn't make the mistake. I didn't birth sin into this world. I created all of this. But yet I'm willing to come and to take your sin and to place it upon myself. And to go pay the ultimate price for you so you don't have to live under it anymore. When you bring it into that perspective and you begin to look at it in a, in a 2021 scenario, it looks a little different. Especially if you're the one having to pay the price for someone else's mistake. I promise you our reaction will be like, mm -mm, ain't happening. You can find you somebody else. And that's my point this morning. He was willing to say, no, 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 there is nobody else. It's only me. I can do this. This is why John the Baptist said in John 1, that that's why he said, like, the way he did, he said, behold, Jesus, the Lamb of God, taketh away all the sin in the world. Jesus takes it away. That, that is, atones our sins. Likewise, in Isaiah 56 and, or 53 and 6, the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. Hebrews 9.26 says that he, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Himself. So we understand that there was an atonement. There was a price paid. And then there's a word we're going to talk about. It's in the Bible. And 
Maybe some of you say, well, I've never heard this one. It's propitiation. Whereas atonement refers to the removal of our sins, the propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath. By dying in our place for our sins, Jesus removed the wrath that we justly deserved. We deserved it. In fact, it goes even a little further that a propitiation is not only just simply a sacrifice that removes wrath, but a sacrifice that removes wrath and in turn brings you favor. Think about that. Think about the moment that you were baptized. You understand when you were baptized, your sins are washed away. Anybody Was anybody baptized and you came out and you received the Holy Ghost in the water? Anybody? Got a few in here. You remember how that felt? You know what happened? You were experiencing atonement. You were experiencing propitiation in that moment. That you come down one person and you came out. Listen, you went down a sinner. And you came out a child of God. All because he paid the price. There was nothing else, no, no, no big ceremony you had to do. There was no papers you had to sign. He just said, simply obey what, what I have given you, instruction in my word. Uh, he said, if you'll go be baptized in my name, and when you go down, I know you're a sinner, and I know that you're dirty, and you don't deserve this. You don't deserve it. He said, but when you go down, listen, you're going to go down uh, in sin. You're going to come out with favor. I'm thankful for that this morning. Romans 3, 25, 26 says that God displayed, displayed publicly as a propitiation in his love or in his blood through faith. Likewise, Hebrew 2, 17 says that Christ made propitiation for the sins of the people. 1 John 4, 10 says that in, his, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. came he gave for us and then there's reconciliation a reconciliation whereas the atonement refers to removal of sin propitiation refers to the removal of God's wrath reconciliation refers to the removal of our alienation from God because of our sins that we were separated from him there was a separation between man and God because of our sins you remember reading back in Genesis when everything took place with Adam and Eve, there was instantly a separation between them. The day before, they were walking with him, talking with him. They had the greatest life, and then there became a separation. They hid from him. Your sin, ooh, hallelujah. Your sin will make you not want to come to church. If you struggle getting here, that's because there's something in your life that stands between you and him. You are hiding from him. Because you know when you get in his presence, when you get in his presence, there's going to be conviction. And the conviction is going to draw you to an altar. And at the altar, you're going to have to lay those things down that you've been doing that's not pleasing God. So I'm telling you right now, there's something powerful in this. When you get into his presence, that when there's sin, you know there's sin. Do not let it make you hide from him. But let it be something that pushes you into his presence. You need to be pushed to the cross. Don't run away from the cross. You need to visit and say, God, forgive me. Because he said right now, he said, I've already paid the atonement. Propitiation's already there. He said, I'm telling you now, I want to reconcile things with you daily. 
So don't let it be something that comes between you and God and pushes you away from God. Romans 5, 10, 11 says, For if while we were enemies that we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Our life is saved by his life that he gave. Redemption. Our sins had put us in captivity from which we need to be delivered if you have not been yet. The price that is paid to deliver someone captivity is called a ransom. To say that Christ's death accomplished redemption for us means that it accomplished deliverance from our captivity through the payment of a price. I'll say it one more time. To say that Christ's death, the cross, accomplished redemption for us means that it accomplished deliverance from our captivity through the payment of price. There was a price on that cross. There was a price tag hanging. And it said the sin, all the sin of all mankind. And there was only one person who had what he needed in his wallet to make the payment. Everybody else would have been denied. Everybody else would have swiped the card and it would have said decline. Because they didn't have it in the account. They didn't have what it took. But he knew with confidence. You feel, you know, you feel good to make a purchase and you know, like, oh, there's plenty, there's plenty there. You just feel a little better when you go do that. There was no doubt in his mind that I'm the only one that has the amount that will pay for this. Only him. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the guilt of our sin, that we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Christ redeemed us from the power of sin, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from, from the ways of life or the inheritance of your fathers, but the precious blood as of a lamb that is unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ Jesus. That's 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. Note that we are not simply redeemed from the guilt of sin. To be redeemed from the power of sin means that our slavery to sin was now broken. That we are now free to live a righteous life. Our redemption from the power of sin is thus the basis of our ability to live a holy life. That you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. He bought you. He paid the price. If you make the decision to accept the purchase, see, that's the key. There's a lot of people that have been purchased. The price has already been paid, but they don't accept the purchaser. And then there's a lot of people that like to accept the gift, but they don't like to accept what comes with the gift the end of this. They like the part where I'm broken from the, the slavery of sin and, and, I, and the righteousness and the redemption of power. This is, oh, I love that. The holy, yes, I love that, but to glorify God in our bodies. Now we're getting into the place where, where Jesus 
got into when he gave. Because when he gave, he gave up his rights. You see, when you give your life to him, you give up your rights. You turn them over to him and you say, Lord, I am now yours. And I'm going to live a life that glorifies you in my body. That's where this comes in. You say, well, how do I know how to live a life that glorifies God in my body, Pastor? Right here. It's right here. Begin to open this up. Begin to read. You've got questions, come ask me. Be here on Wednesday nights in Bible studies. We talk about these things. We go a little deeper in the Word, and we begin to find out, what. how do I live a life that's pleasing unto God? Prayer and fasting will open your eyes to a lot of things. There are things that God will speak to you that he, he might not have spoken to anybody else yet. God will ask things of you personally. That's why we all collectively don't have a relationship with God. It's not like LifePoint has a relationship with him. But it's every individual in this place has a relationship with him. I'm married to my wife. All y'all are not. I have a relationship with her. It's different than everybody else in here. Your relationship with him is going to be a little different than everybody else in here. You're going to talk to him different than anybody else in here. You're going to have a relationship with him, and you're going to be asking him personally, God, God, not on behalf of the church. That's my job. I go on to the Lord and say, on behalf of the church, God, what do you want from us? What do you require from us? What do you want us to give? God, what do you want? What do you want? But for, for you and for me myself, I also have to go and say, God, what do you want from me? What do you require of me, God? What do you require of this body, this shell, this temple that, that holds and contains the Holy Ghost? God, what do you want from me? What do you require of me? We've all got to get to that place. That's why I always say that church is, just, is only as powerful as the individual, as the family. If individually have relationships with God, it's going to be easy for a church collectively to have that relationship with God. We'll hear from him. There is the, set, the next thing we talk about that he gave to give to us is the defeat of the powers of darkness. You understand what took place when he went to the cross. All hell was having a party, thought this is it. We finally got him. We finally won. I mean, just to rejoice, you know, we no longer have to deal with him. Oh, he was causing such a ruckus. My goodness. But his death was the defeat of the power of Satan. His sin was the defeat of the power of hell. Colossians 3 and 5 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Satan's only weapon that he can utilize and often utilizes is the, the, the hurt of people with unforgiven sin. That they walk around with sin they carry that has yet to been forgiven. You, you remember, I'm, I'm sure everybody in this place, I know that there was a sin because we were all born into sin. You remember carrying that sin, that weight of that sin around until you finally found out that there was a God who loved you so much that came and died for you. 
and your first experience with him when you remember that weight being lifted off of you. Everything changed then. But there was a heaviness, almost like a hurt of unforgiven sin that you had to carry around until that took place. We see here that Christ took this, this weapon away from him and, and, and for all who believed, defeating him and all the powers of darkness in his death. And by as the verse right before this says, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing to the cross. He redeemed us. He removed the bondage of sin by giving us power to have rights over it. I'm going to jump ahead. I just feel to do this. I believe the, the Lord's getting ready to do something in this altar call. I chose earlier not to have prayer in the middle of the service. Because I truly believe that the Lord has showed us today not just the what, but the why. He has showed us the why to tell us, listen, the reason I came was not just salvation, but it was to set you free. I paid the price. And I know there's people all over this place this morning that there are things you're dealing with. There are things you're carrying. And I know that there, but you say, well, I need, a, I need a healing in my body. Guess what? He, he, he came. We talked about it last week. He came to bring healing into your body. But there, there are things, there are debts that have yet been, that, that have been, yet been turned over to him. There are things in this room today that have yet been turned over to him. And I want you to understand that he came and he gave his life to give you power. He gave you power to understand that he gave to give us the greatest gift that will ever be given on this earth. I know you're about to receive some gifts for Christmas. That's great. And kids, I know you're excited. But I want you to hear your pastor this morning. Whatever you receive, whether it be a remote control car or whether it be some toy or whether it be a, a new set of pajamas or that beautiful sweater, maybe somebody knitted for you that you love so much. If you open up a box this weekend and it has a million dollar check written out to you. I know. Everybody's getting excited like, ooh, hallelujah. If we all get one of those, we're getting a new church. Hallelujah. But I want you to understand that even if we all got one of those, it's still not the greatest gift you're ever going to get. Because we understand in Acts 2.38 that we preach, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of all gifts. Come on, the present of all presents. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's going to change your life, not just for a day, not just for a week, not just for a year. It'll change your life, and it'll go on. It's good in eternity, too. It'll go on over to eternity. It'll change the way you live eternity. It'll change your family. It'll change the way you live. It'll change everything 
about you. And the greatest thing is it gives you power. It gives you power. Acts 1 and 8 says ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That is the power to walk right, the power to talk right, the power to live right, the power over sickness, the power over death. It doesn't matter what you need this morning. If you've got the Holy Ghost in you, you have the power to speak to it and to tell it you've got to go. It's got to be removed from my life. It's got the power to make you live that right life we were talking about, to give up things you've been trying to give up for years. I want to share with you this morning as we all stand. I want to share with you if it's all right with him. I want to share this with you on Wednesday night. When we closed out Bible study, I was talking about things in our life. I'm not talking about addictions. I'm not talking about that. We're guilty of talking about addictions a lot. But he didn't just come to a cross to break addictions. He came to a cross to convict us and to show us things that he once removed. And when you remove it, he says, I will fill the voids in your life. And after service on Wednesday night... When I closed out and said, you're dismissed, I heard a clink on top of the pulpit. And I looked down, and there was Brother Sam with tears in his eyes. He said, Pastor, for 45 years, he said, 45 years, I have done this. He said, but God has been convicting me. And he said, tonight is the night I'm done. God gave to give him the ability to say, I'm done with it. I won't answer to it anymore. I won't wait up reaching for it anymore. I'm going to give it to him. I'm telling you right now, this morning can be a morning of freedom because he came in this and he died on that and he got up in a tomb and he's still here this morning. I'm telling you if you're struggling with something, it might not be addiction, but I wish we would say, God, you gave to give me what I need this morning. I wish we would step out and come to an altar right now. Every one of us, if you've got a need, if you you got to pray. Come on, if you just want to come and worship, if you need healing, or if you need God to deliver you of something this morning, come and lay it on an altar and let God change your life. He gave to give you the ability to change this morning. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, go with me. Come with me. Come on, don't let somebody come by themselves. Come on, somebody come and give this morning. Come on, somebody give. Somebody come back and say, you gave to to give me. You gave to give me a chance. You gave to give me an opportunity. You gave so I could come this morning and be transformed. I could give this body to you this morning. God is a living sacrifice, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your voice all over this place. God's wanting to call somebody. God's dealing with your heart this morning. God is calling somebody to a place you haven't been. 